This is the Pro-AV Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. All right, hello everyone. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another fabulous episode of the Market Scale Pro AV podcast. Today, we're rejoined by a frequent Market Scale collaborator. His name is Aaron Rubner. He's the president of Avtech. Aaron, great to have you in the podcast studio. How are you doing today? Very well, Daniel. Good seeing you again. Yeah. When was the last time we had you in here? Last month, was it? It was a month ago. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Right. Yep. You're, you're consistent. Yeah. It I seems love to it. be that way. Yep. Uh, how's your start of the year been so far? Uh, it's been actually a great year. Uh, January is typically a pretty slow time, and I say typically because this this January has not been the norm for us. Really? So it's been, uh, been really good. Yeah. I mean, I know here at Market Scale, this January has probably been the craziest month yet busy in the best way possible so great that everyone is feeling that positive start of the year but we're not just joined by Aaron we have a new guest in the studio today and he's going to help us get some more insight into the evolution of video conferencing he's been in AV sales for over 40 years this is Mr. Ron DeVoe he is the president of Total Marketing LLC Ron great to have you in the podcast studio how are you I'm doing great thanks for having us absolutely yeah it's a pleasure getting this really deep insight Um, you know we have a lot of guests in here, but whenever we have someone who's been in the industry this long, it really makes for a unique conversation. So I'm excited to dig in. All right. Uh, sometimes hearing what happened in the past, it's not really video conferencing didn't start with Noah's and Noah and the Ark, <laughs> but I probably did. So <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah, we're not going to be going that far back. <laughs> Although I'm sure they could have been a little more efficient with some video conferencing, <laughs> am I right? Probably. Probably. <laughs> so let's chat for a second about Total Marketing LLC. I think it'll help inform your um, just where your expertise is coming from. So Total Marketing LLC is an independent manufacturer's representative. So that means that your company acts as the outside sales force for manufacturers to then get their products to distributors, dealers. How do you feel like your company has given you a unique position to watch the evolution of video conferencing technology? Well, that's a very good question. The, the fact that we are touch points within multiple things within the industry. So we're touch points with manufacturers, then seeing the consultants, the designers. Sometimes we are the ones taken to the architect on the basis of uh, the products that we have and the dealer takes us. So we're working with all those different entities that keeps us very much on top of what's happening, what has happened, and the direction that it might be going. I love that. Yeah, I mean, very ear to the ground, very much Part of those daily communications probably lets you feel what people are asking for, what innovation is catching people's eyes or making them upset if it's a step in the wrong direction. So, Ron, let's just jump right in. And Aaron, I'm going to direct most of my questions to Ron, and then I'm going to have you just give some color commentary and add more context to everything. But let's start, Ron, with the very beginning. I think we can just do a pretty historical walkthrough here of video conferencing and looking at each of the biggest milestones and what made them important and kind of how we're still seeing effects of those milestones today. So why don't we start at the beginning? Um, You've been in AV sales for 40 years. When did you see video conferencing really take off and start to fulfill that that Jetsons dream, right, of this is sci-fi, but now it's actually very real and it's, it's useful. It's not just a little niche extra. 
Well, it's very interesting because in the video conferencing world, it actually started in the uh, late 1950s. In 1970, they had started with uh, some of the uh, picture phone, which really was just a still frame that you would look right. at the picture and there'd be talking to somebody, but it really didn't have a great impact. And it was handset to handset. So that didn't do much. The big rise came in when the compression algorithms really began starting. Uh, that was with some companies in the mid-'80s, which uh, included <clears throat> PictureTel, and you had uh, British Telecom, and you had um, uh, CLI, which was Compression Labs Incorporated. All of these people had perfected video compression, and so therefore were able to start doing it. But it was the addition of the computer bringing the computer, and just as the computer uh, started making its way into every business, then it made its way into every desktop, video conferencing quickly took on the step because it was a computer-based system that could go in. And that started showing up best, I would say, in um, the early 90s, and really, really began to make its uh, show once we went into... um, Uh, where people had to get away from the T1 line to do everything and could go into an ISDN line. And then combining three ISDN lines made it affordable for everybody. You were getting full motion video, and then you're also able to do document sharing and then bring in multi-site people. So that was the big explosion. So it sounds like the first main innovator was video compression. Um, Why wasn't that thought of immediately when people were getting video conferencing off the ground was that I mean I I know obviously thinking about it today video compression is pretty integral to any sort of video sharing whether it's live feed or I mean whether you're compressing down an edit so looking at it back in the 70s early 80s what spurred that innovation other than those companies and their leading technology what really helped push video compression to become i guess as ubiquitous as it is today well i think it's moving from analog to digital made the big difference Mm -hmm. so therefore you're able to work with that digital that video signal much differently than you were able to use it in the old analog days but it was the bandwidth the bandwidth capabilities that started improving within the united states that made the compression more feasible because you would have packet losses all the time in a video conference call and therefore it'd fall out right well and i mean i feel like we still see that being perfected you know it's not like just video compression and the addition of the computer stopped poor quality with video conferencing Uh, how do you still see people um evolving that technology and improving on it today Well, I think that the improvement is overwhelming from what it was two years ago. Right. What we have right now with the ability of going in with Zoom or WebEx or Skype for Business that cost next to nothing for an end user to do and the capabilities that they get as compared to what we had 15 years ago is night and day. Right. Aaron, would you agree? No, 100%. You know, I I always found it interesting. I I jumped into business in 1999 at 18, right out of high school. Yeah. I remember, still remember to this day, you know, ISDN was pretty heavily used and IP was, you know, a brand new thing, a brand new pup at that point. And I still remember to this day when we, when I worked for a small reseller making that first IP call that we ever made mm-hmm. and, you know, how excited everybody in the office was and, and the, you know, the transition IP after that, you know, exploded. It was, it's, it's cool to see where it's gone with that. 
to uh, give you an idea, in this early 90s, I was at uh, Texaco, and Texaco was putting in several video conferencing rooms. Mm -hmm. And these particular rooms, and I'm not going to name the manufacturer, but Mm -hmm. it was one of those four that we mentioned beforehand. Mm -hmm. Per site, it cost them (gasps) $75,000 for the equipment per site, and it would give them possibly 6 to 10 frames a second. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it's like a joke. Yes. Yeah. Wow. But then that was leading technology. Yes. Right. And so, I mean, the I think that stark difference in cost is always what blows my mind. What do you think has been the leading reason why costs have come down so much and quality has increased? Because I think to a degree, um, you know, d- distributors or manufacturers of those products could have kept costs high even as quality increased just because you know, it was a black box solution and, hey, we have the better product. We're actually going to charge a little more. What drove that initial price decrease, which has now become the accessible WebEx or Skype for business that we see today? Well, I think it's in this, we'll call it, put it under the category of unified communications. And at the core of the unified communications is the computer and the computer prices have come more and more powerful each day and less and less expensive. So that has driven the technology and the way it works also. So back to the computer, you said the addition of it was definitely one of the biggest milestones for video conferencing. Uh, can you dig into that era for me a little bit more and how uh, ProAV sort of uh, adopted what was going on in the software world, the technology world, and used it to their advantage um, in video conferencing? I think it's just because of networking. Yeah. And so as networks became broader and the way of doing business that you stayed on a network, then you had wireless technology that improved by then making this another part of the computer, another part of, again, that uh, unified communications, that's what all of a sudden exploded the market because then of bringing it to the desktop has been that huge part for us right now and the simplicity of how it works. So where you had, you could get away from the ISDN line, before that you had to have the T1 line, then the ISDN line is not having to do that. Now you'd go into a, a super broadband, you know, a nice network and there's no problem in connectivity from us to Rome, Italy is, you know, a couple of keystrokes. Yes. Right, right. There is a story that uh, I worked with one company called RSI, and it actually stood for Rocket Science Engineering or something like that. I forgot forgot exactly what it was called, but that was in the early 1990s. And so we would demonstrate the system because we had a showroom in Fort Worth where we'd set up. But later at night, and I just wanted to show somebody, it'd go later at night. Well, nobody was there at the far end, which was in Minnesota. But what they do is just put a fish tank up there because it would show motion and then they had the gurgling of the fish tank and right. all that so it would uh, where you'd be able to see it so I showed the people who were in my office okay this is what the video conferencing looks like and you know it's just a few frames a second it's not a big system then suddenly there was this horrid sound just going great and I what in the world and suddenly we see this guy walking back and forth with vacuum cleaner oh. Oh. He, he stopped and I just happened to be in, uh, you missed the spot, sir. <laughs> and he's looking around. Right. What, what is it? What is, where are you? He's looking at the fish, right. looking at everything, trying to find out what it is. Then he looks over at Nemo? the TV and says, oh, you were watching me. So, yeah. <gasps> wow. It, it is really cool because, you know, nowadays video is no big deal, right? Right. You know, my kids grow up with FaceTime. They rather FaceTime me than call me. But right. I remember, again, as a 
18, 19-year-old kid working for this video conferencing company. We, we had a swank office in downtown Dallas, the West End. That was cool and hip yeah. back then. We would go down there and hang out, and I would show my buddies and, you know, girlfriends, like, hey, check this out. And, you know, it blew their mind for me to call a site, you know, on the other side of the country and do that. So that was, again, just the evolution of where it's been and where it's gone and where it is now is, is cool. Yeah. So I think when we look at video conferencing today, we see – with every step, it's like trying to add something new to the video conferencing tool belt. So improving document sharing, improving the kind of chat rooms or the kind of content you can create there, how you can collaborate, who you can collaborate with. And I think with each of those new additions, you need to sort of restructure the back end to make sure that you don't lose any quality on the network. How are you seeing the industry or how, I guess, are you seeing the industry stay so far ahead of that to where as they add a new feature, you know, soon we'll start seeing hopefully VR video conferencing at a pretty ubiquitous level. As they add all those features, how do you not lose that quality? How do they stay ahead of that to, you know, with each release, you're not slowing it down. It's honestly an improvement, plus you get new tools. Well, I think because they're, we're standards-based in the video conferencing world to begin with. So as we're constantly staying to that standard but improving on that standard, uh, so it's H.264, whatever standard we're working on makes a big difference. Now the advent of video streaming, the advent of archiving video to be used at other times and all that makes a big difference right now. I would also say that the improvements of the pickup devices right now are a, vad- a major change. The cameras that you can put out that really create a telepresence in a camera that's this, you know, very tiny. And then the most important part of video conferencing is audio, audio, audio. I mean, you can go on with an audio conference. You can still maintain communication and everything. If the audio is gone and you just have video, playing charades over a camera is not a good idea as far as communication. Right. Two syllables. Right. Right. Yeah, Ron hit the nail on the head. One of the first things that was driven into my head as a sales guy early on was, you know, video is great and all, but the audio has got to work every time. Right. So that's something that uh, is key. Well, yeah, because then at that point, why aren't you just on a phone call? Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what's making at least the – larger corporate solutions of video conferencing so exciting is that they're adding AI, they're adding machine learning into how the audio picks up the room, how the video can track people within the room. I think that's probably my favorite part of the future of video conferencing. Dive into some of that technology. How are you seeing machine learning and AI play into the future of video conferencing? It's pretty amazing what it can do because you can turn around and, uh, you know, that where it did take an administrator, it did take somebody to make certain that the uh, preset shots were done properly. Uh, The following of the voice is a a unique thing, but now you can have 360-degree cameras or you have 180-degree cameras that picks up everybody and puts them in a panoramic type of thing so it's a sense of presence and those the the, uh, applications are actually not very expensive in comparison to what it was really and and why are you seeing it I mean because in my head when you start digging into anything like that where you're implementing smarter cameras or smarter audio uh, I mean, you're probably going to see the price go up. That no, the pricing is, is just so competitive right now. The capabilities that they're putting in these machines and bringing the price down to make it very affordable is, you know, a very special time in our industry right now. One of the things that we, at our very first podcast, we talked about interactive flat panel displays. Yes. 
a lot of these displays now have cameras and microphones and audio systems built in that are, are leaps and bounds better, again, from when I was in the industry selling a $10,000 set-top box. It's, right. again, it's, it's made things so much easier, especially from Aptech standpoint. You know, where we build furniture, you know, it's a lot easier for me to hang a flat panel on a piece of metal and then call it good, right? Right. As opposed to having to build a whole, and not that we don't want to build whole solutions, don't get me wrong. It's right. just that for that easy hang and bang, things like that have made Aptech's life a lot easier as well. So when we look at video conferencing for the future. Um, I think we can look backwards at what motivated the biggest trends forward for video conferencing as indicators for where people are going to put their time, energy, effort um, into continuing to improve that technology. So obviously video compression, obviously higher fidelity audio, um, obviously more robust networks that can handle larger amounts of data. Uh, What do you see for the next step of video conferencing and how do you see it sort of building on the themes that have been populating for the last 50 plus years? Well, the reason for video conferencing in the first place was for people to be able to collaborate and be able to do it in an ad hoc position, get in there, discuss something, let's look over data and let's make a decision on it. And that's what got it started. Well, it, it, for a while, it was uh, you could still have a cheaper meeting, people flying out, than the cost of the equipment. Now right. it, it's just uh, you know a five-minute notice, everybody get on the meeting from your desktop and right. be able to do it. it. It's spectacular from that standpoint. Where we're just at the tip of the iceberg is how it's going to work into distance learning. And so we will have remote classes all the time with inter- with uh, feedback, communication between the two of them. Uh, your meetings that take place, whether it's Board of Regents or City Council or things like that, those are all streamed and archived, and people can call in and be able to interact with uh, other people as far as uh, county commissioners or things like that. Those are all the things that will become the next major step in the way we do things. And rarely will the meeting take place where it's a bunch of people in a room. It's going to be virtual all the time. Well, and I think with that, you start to uh, add another layer of cybersecurity, especially if you start bringing pure remote conferences into uh, gubernatorial meetings, right? I mean, the the safety of the content that's spoken about in those meetings is paramount. Um, so as video conferencing keeps pushing in that direction, do you think you're going to see more manufacturers in the Pro-AV space either develop better um, security within their own products or partner with other, you know, cybersecurity firms or companies to collaborate on how to best secure these networks? Well, it'll certainly be an element whether the video conferencing companies themselves will be doing it. I do believe it'll be network security that covers that. All right. Well, I feel like we got that solid overview of the history of video conferencing and where video conferencing is still headed. Uh, Ron, I'd really like to thank you for joining us on the podcast and giving your insight. Having your extensive background in AB sales is something I'm definitely going to tap into. I'm going to be reaching out for some more commentary. Uh, But if you had to sum things up briefly, what would you say is the thing you're most excited about for the future of video conferencing? One aspect. You know, the world has become much smaller yes. because of video conferencing, and it will continue to be smaller. It'll continue to connect families. It'll continue to connect businesses. It'll continue to connect teachers with uh, students. So the world being smaller through video conferencing. One thing I'm interested in is the upcoming Infocom and ISE shows. Oh, yeah. The the VR, the holographic type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm pumped to see that in the next couple months to see 
kind of where that goes from there. Me too. Yeah. I mean, if if we could be doing this podcast with a holographic, Aaron Rubner here, it, I mean, I, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Aaron yeah. looks very good that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the best way I look. As, as pixel mesh. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you for also joining us on the podcast. Always a pleasure chatting Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.